So hello and welcome to the Disney Animated Cannon Ball. I'm Talon Lee, he, him. I'm Foxley, she, her. This is a podcast about watching our way through the entirety of what is known by someone, somewhere maintaining a list with some criteria, the Disney Animated Cannon. Have we now talked about who decides what's in the cannon? <laughs> um, capitalism, mostly. Uh, fair enough. And at this point, we are in 1967's The Jungle Book. Yes, we're bringing an end to an era with this one. The last film Walt Disney worked on during his life. Yep. As opposed to all the other movies that he's worked on since his life. We first start off with The Plot in 60 Seconds. Ooh, is it my turn to tell you a story? It is your turn to tell me a story. Ah, well, uh, this will be a snap. You've got to remember, though, you know... Avoid the rookie mistakes. You know, you know what you, <clears throat> you know what you're doing. You're flexible. You're fast. You're frantic. I want to see the technique. Hey, Ready? don't get in my head. I'm gonna take this casual. This one's a shoe in. All right. Well, your time starts now. All right. An unusually friendly panther finds a baby human in the jungle and uh, gives him to a pack of wolves who do not eat him and, in fact, raise him to be about ten years old. At this point, a scary tiger tiger returns to the jungle, who hasn't been around in a while, but now he's back and he wants to eat this kid. The rest of this movie will be the child wandering between various jungle animals and trying to fit in until they all realize that they have to send him back to the humans, and eventually he does too, because it turns out he's horny. The end. Not bad, not bad. 24 seconds to go. I'm very impressed. Now, it helps that I did ask you to explain in depth something with the narrative structure of a packet of wafers. <laughs> it does loop on itself a few times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's fine. It establishes a pattern that reaches a breaking point. That's not bad storytelling. No, it's not terrible. It depends strongly on how much you enjoy the ride. Yeah, and ride is the right term. I, I believe that the Jungle Book is one of those ones that's been one of those enduring rides at Disneyland. Oh, has it? Not that I would know. Go talk <laughs> to a Disneyland channel about that. Yeah, look, I've, I've only recently discovered Disney Parks... Yeah. Uh, channels, and I'm fascinated by the culture surrounding this, because I I don't know, listener, if you picked this up, but we're not from around here, and uh, if, if your family was willing to spend several thousand dollars on air tickets just to get to the country containing Disneyland, yeah, uh, then they were willing to throw around more money on holiday than mine was. <laughs> like, around here, the rich kid had been to Disneyland. Yeah, like one time. Yeah, it, it was, was a one thing. This was not a recurring event. No. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, the posh middle class kid, you know, maybe got to treat it in the same way one might treat going to the Swiss Alps kind of thing. It's just impossibly out there. The working class kid, if they were really lucky, might have gotten to go to Wonderland more than once when they were in school. Well... Let's talk about pre-existing relationships. Right, right. Do you want to go first? Is this a short story? I've read The Jungle Book. 
Oh my. Yeah, and it's a dense children's book written by a man born in colonial India. And I don't remember most of it. It's it's one of those big cloth-bound books on my grandma's shelf that was an alternative to hanging around my family. <laughs> and, you know, you recognize the branding of the Jungle Book in supermarkets and whatnot. So you're like, oh, that's a kid's thing. I'll read the kid's thing. And it's dense and boring and I wasn't that into it. But uh, again, I don't want to get into a Hamlet and Hang Glider situation here. So I'm going to judge this movie for what's in it rather than what's not in the book. Absolutely. I'm sure we will inevitably compare some of the sensibilities between the two. But uh, we, we can do that. Let's tell him. I have notes. Riffling through the notes he has that I believe fit almost entirely into the Yikes Door section. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. Uh, did you have a pre-existing relationship with the film at all? Had you seen it before? I'd seen little snippets. Uh, the same thing as the classic, you know, hey, Disney World of Disney stuff. Um, Car is the main thing that actually stood out in my mind. And secondarily, Shia Khan. <laughs> Car's segment, clearly someone loved that. And they put it in other movies and other like compilation videos. And it always scared the shit out of me. Like the idea of sleepwalking and the idea of being hypnotized yeah. and satanic fear of snakes, all that stuff. Um, and Shia Khan is a major... I wouldn't say antagonist, but he's a major presence in an invisible way in Tailspin. Yeah, yeah. And growing up, Tailspin was my main window into this. So I always assumed that Shia Khan was very important in a way. Uh, and, you know, not wrong. No, I mean, he occupies mostly the same position, which is to say he's not there for most of the runtime. But his presence shapes everything in the story. Mm-hmm. And what about you? Uh, not one I'd seen a lot. Not a favorite. Definitely saw it at least once as a kid. So I remember staying over at a friend's house. And particularly I remember the vultures for some reason. I don't mm. know why the vultures would stick in my mind. Um, but other than that, it's not one I watched an endless number of times. It's not one that I, like, uh, you know, memorized and uh, had all the books of and trace the pictures of and oh yeah all that stuff um but boy some of the bits of it are familiar <laughs> gonna get you to stick a pin in the entire character of baloo yeah uh, for a few films down the track you'll yep. know it when you see it yep and indeed <laughs> uh we'll also put a pin there for uh another movie you might not even realize that's even further down the track than yep. that but you'll probably work it out once i start talking about voice acting and how this movie got made <laughs> Right, right. Well, look, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb right now and say that the voice talent was by far my favorite thing in this on the fresh rewatch. Mm. Like, I obviously I could take or leave Mowgli. The child is not the point of this movie, but the our animal characters are just a pleasure to watch and listen to. Uh, boy, boy, Milt Carl and his animation team are, are in full force in this one, hey? Mm-hmm. <laughs> shall we shall we momentarily put our hand on the yike store? Yeah, you know what? The yike store has a heavy load for this one, so <laughs> it can wait for our other shorter segments this time, I think. Especially because, unlike Peter Pan, the last time we got a movie that needs this much yike store, uh, this one's actually kind of a good movie. Asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. I, well, yeah, that's the thing. I, <laughs> I'm still not able to see most of the Yikesy stuff in this one because you gotta know what you're looking for. You gotta really understand, 
the colonial tropes you're dealing with. Um, and I liked this on the rewatch way more than I remember liking this. <laughs> I'm kind of mad, because if there weren't so many yikesy bits in it, I feel like this would be a lot of fun. Like, it kind of ambles around doing nothing for a good amount of time, but what is there is fun. Look, in the millennial version of this, not the one they made, but like if you took a millennial and said, <laughs> all right, make a movie and these are your frames and you get to put any dialogue you want here. This is fundamentally a story about a, a bear and a cat as two gay dads for a boy who they are trying to get to go to a good college. Right? Yeah, the two gay dads vibe is not something you notice when you're a kid. No! That, that, that definitely came home to land. And I mean, totally didn't back then either, because there's a lot of conversations no, they have no. that just don't... And again, yikes store. We'll get into that. But, yeah. <laughs> They're more like overbearing dad and irresponsible uncle mm. it's just that nowadays they'd, they'd be much more fun if oh, they yeah. also an item all right well while we wait for the yikes door to finish you know decompressing eyelash watch <laughs> uh we've got minor eyelashery in this movie i think mobley has more prominent eyelashes than we're gonna see on most of our boy protagonists and i think it's because he's you know young and cute still uh i expected car to have eyelashes ah. because he does have those eyes they use them to be very deliberately expressive but uh yeah no it doesn't <laughs> and he's got kind of a mincing you know suggestive kind of style if someone was gonna pop out eyelashes you'd expect it to be him yeah by the way put a pin in that design as well yep <laughs> and that voice i say that but that's actually most disney snakes from here on out so yeah they're all car <laughs> <laughs> but still um you can definitely, like, Mowgli has more eyelash going on than, than most of our dudes, but when, and, and I checked her name in the credits this watch through, and I'm very sad to report her name is The Girl. Yep. Uh, when she shows up, you can see what a real femme eyelash is supposed to look like here, and it's nothing like what he's got going on. Uh-huh. I am upset by the appearance of that child, and we'll talk about that. Yep. Later on. Oh, yeah. She doesn't even get dialogue that's on Yikesy. She does not. All right. So, moving uh, right on through Eyelash Watch, though, a much more interesting segment for this film in particular. Swaggle Watch. Swaggle Watch. Holy crap. <laughs> this film is like Swaggle Rock. <laughs> Milk Carl just basically <laughs> kicks open the door and is like, get in, losers. It's going to turn and wiggle. <laughs> There was one point where you just burst out laughing <laughs> while Shere Khan was talking, and I was like, what? Did I miss a joke? What was that? And I just realized it's because I'd missed, like, 12 swaggles already. <laughs> he done it. Even the villain is here to swaggle the shit out of his day. He did two in a row. He That's the thing that made me laugh. Beautiful. Yeah. So. He is so much more, like, fun a villain than I remember. Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. The very first part where he shows up and he's, you know, tiger stalking something, I was like, oh yeah, he's got so much in common with, like, the, the way they animated the evil stepmother, for example, with, like, a lot of her body locked and little bits of it moving to be really menacing. I was like, oh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense for a tiger. That's where they got it from when they did it to a human. But then, when he actually starts talking, ah, oh, he's hamming it up real fun. Uh-huh. So, specifically as it pertains to the way this movie got made, um, 
you may remember from documentaries in our childhood that Disney movies were made by giving basically there were teams. Well, there was first there was an animator for a character, and then there were teams of animators for a character. And when those two characters interacted, those two teams would build the scene together. Right, right. This predates that system. And what happened in this movie is instead the whole movie was broken into sequences and animators were given individual sequences. Makes sense. And Milk Carl got basically everything with Bagheera and Shere Khan. <laughs> Definitely some Baloo as well. Oh. There are Baloo swaggles to be had here. Yep, Baloo gets a, there's a, there's a there's the sequence where Bagheera and Baloo are arguing. And uh, there's a swaggle in there. That's absolutely Milt Carl laying down the parameters for that. Um, he did a bunch of sketches that didn't get used in his segments. And because they're using xerography at this point, other animators got those bits and built on them. Uh, and with the uh, with with the small movements, particularly when you notice Shere Khan stalking the deer in the rushes, there's the point where the whole scene is more or less still, except his shoulder blades. Yeah, yeah. And that's and that and the long running sequence of Bagheera belting through the forest over multiple backgrounds. That's Milt Carl basically going, "I'm free now." <laughs> I oh, the animation in this was good, really good. I. It's a shame that the majority of what we have to talk about is unpleasant, because I have not previously appreciated exactly how good this film looks. The Particularly Shere Khan and Bagheera, the cat characters, are actually built like cats. Like, a lot of the time when people draw cats, they draw round dogs, or long dogs, depending on what their particular floor is, but the, like these stretch like cats. They have those extra skin bits that let cats fall without taking damage, and that uniquely shapes how cats move, and the animation really pays off on that stuff. They look fantastic. And the the big barrel chest, well, not barrel, but like the big, like, box chamber chest with that narrow section afterwards in a way that, like, like we do that with sighthounds when you draw a sighthound, but <laughs> in this case, it's much more fluid and liquid. So, fuck- It's called a deep chest. Right. So Fox Fox is a big animation nerd. Fox is good at art. Fox does this stuff. So like I'm I know <laughs> normally when these have these conversations, when she's talking about the stuff in animation, I'm usually sitting here quite dumbly going, listen, <laughs> listen, 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 and there's nothing to say. And I keep on finding myself when she's talking about this, when she mentions something, I want to go, yes, I noticed. So what <laughs> what Fox is yeah. seeing and you're not getting, listener, is me sitting here like a fucking marionette going, nod, 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 nod. <laughs> I understand you noticed. Very well done. Um, I'm turning you into an animation nerd. <laughs> Baloo largely improvised all of his dialogue and the animation then had to fill in around him. <laughs> you might notice there's a lot of points where Baloo isn't looking at the camera while he's talking. His uh, face struck me as odd somehow. I could not put my finger on it, but I wonder if it's because it was sort of added afterwards sometimes. I don't know about the stages of the animation process. Like, I don't mean ad edited back into the film or anything. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, Disney, it's my understanding that for some time Disney has been recording before animating, at least mm. in dialogue-heavy stuff. Um, and that, by the way, is my pin. Because the idea of, yeah. let's get a renowned, famous, funny person to play an important <laughs> role, let them do what they want, and then our animators come in and breathe life into that is a technique they would use again much later. Well, that they would use for their entire 
careers, basically, but the specifically handing it to well-known funny people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. That's beginning to emerge, let's say. By the way, I was wondering if you had notes on how famous these voices are exactly. Some of them are remarkably famous. Some of them are extremely big deals of their era. Alright, want to give me a quick rundown? Because this, I do not know. Okay, so I only bothered to grab a small number of them. Because, for the most part, this was a voice actor-led production in a way that Disney did not normally do. They got a fair number of famous people. I mean- Obviously, we recognize uh, Sterling Holloway. Yes. Sterling Holloway, who is the voice of Carr, he's one of the ones I grabbed. The issue is that if I said, oh, by the way, this particular voice was these 20 different um, roles in Bible films from the 1930s through Ah. the 1950s, that's an amazing resume, but it's not going to mean dick nothing. They do have a lot of, like, big, strong, firm, charismatic fucking Tony J-ass voices. So there's a specific point. Well, I know Tony J picks up Shere Khan later on. Exactly. But this is not him. Because these characters wind up enduring well past the Jungle Book into Tailspin and then into the sequel for the Jungle Book and then into the live action movie, voice roles get passed through. So I can't necessarily, so it's a little, I can't say, look, the guy who played, the, you know, the guy who played Shere Khan was super important because of these 30 films. But what I can say is when they wanted to replace him because he died, they got Tony J. <laughs> Well, Tony Jay wasn't that famous at the time. Or rather, Tony Jay was a stage actor mostly at the time. Sure, but you know how good Tony Jay wound up being. Ah. Uh, yeah. And I know that his the first bunch of, of voice roles he picked up were basically voicing God in a yep. bunch of stuff. Yep. <laughs> so people heard Tony Jay and literally decided he was the voice of God. Uh-huh. Now, on the voice of God in the story, the voice of God is the narrator. Do you remember the narrator in Peter Pan? Yeah, it wasn't any character in particular, was it? It was just some voice that popped up as if it was halfway through a Peter Pan story to begin with. Yeah, that was the narrator who also wound up voicing the collie dog in 101 Dalmatians. Oh, that was that guy. Okay. You already mentioned this guy. Yeah, Uh, this guy named Tim Conway. Uh, Tim Conway is not his birth name. Um, Tim Conway is also the, let's loosely call him, hero? In the MST3K rift movie She-Devil. Ah, yes. Who spends his time trying to outwit the great Lombardi. Not his best work. Um, he... So, uh, that was our bag hero? No, no, this is even better. Tim Conway is the older brother of Shia Khan's voice actor. Oh, okay, I didn't realise you were going down a trail on this (laughs) (laughs) What has Shia Khan's actor done before? And this is the challenge, because... I don't have to recognize it. You can just tell me he was, you know, 17 different Moseses in 17 different silver screen films. And I get the idea. Yeah, this this guy this guy had 40 years in the film industry, but it started in the 1930s. So, I can say he did all these things. He worked for RKO. He was he was he was uh the the evil king in Samson and Delilah. Um and a whole bunch of other stuff. Like he was, he was the Falcon, which was like the saint and and uh, the shadow kind of character. And eventually, that role got juked by his brother. <laughs> um, Rude. Younger yeah. brother, I guess. Yeah. Um. And no, no, his older brother. Older brother. Tim Conway's his Ooh. older brother. Oh, that's rough. He doesn't look it though. Like um, one one of them definitely got the pretty boy side of the family. The other one got the deep, imposing, terrifying god creature face. I mean, to be. 
hearing Shere Khan's voice in this, that's an okay trade. Uh-huh. Like, that voice is pretty phenomenal. The role that you might, 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 might have recognized him from as an actual live-action person was that he was the first Mr. Freeze to ever appear on television. Huh. In the 1960s Batman series that did get aired here in the <laughs> 90s indefinitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he got punched in the face by Adam West. <laughs> there are worse things to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was also a singer, a stage actor. He was, he was like, stupidly important in his own particular way. Uh, and he's listed as a British actor, which is a pretty rich thing to say about a guy who was born in Russia during the Russian Revolution. Okay, well, I see why they might have <laughs> softened that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name was George Henry Sanders. He was born in St. Petersburg, literally during the Russian Revolution, oh. like bricks were flying. He sure as shit sounds like an English voice actor. Oh yes, they moved They moved to Britain <laughs> right away. Yeah. <laughs> um, as far as the other voice talent goes, this is going to come up in the Yikes store, King Louis. Right. King Louis was... A guy by the name of Louis Prima. He was actually a black guy? No. Oh dear. But here is the complicated web of how racism works. King Louis was voiced by a guy called Louis Prima, who was a big band leader. And he only got the job because he personally impressed Walt Disney at a party. And he was only at the party because, oh, get a load of this guy. He's a, he's a funny guy. He was Sicilian. Ah. And this is that right period of old timey racism where they're like, we're not so sure about the Italians and the Irish, apparently. Yeah, well, no, that makes sense. I mean, whiteness is something that the privileged in-group confers onto other ethnic groups. When we were in school. Uh, the Greek and Italian kids were not considered white. They were the immigrants that our parents said shitty things about. While obviously it would be even better if, like, a black guy had voiced King Louis. Well, I'm not going to go into that little tangle. It's yikesy either way. Exactly. It's, it's yikes if you give us, if a if an actual black guy is in a menstrual show and a tree falls in the woods. Like yeah. Either way, this is steeped in racism and there's no good way to come out of it. It does, however, make it a lot more interesting to me that I I don't... Do you know anything about Jungle Book Rhythm and Groove? Ugh. The ill-conceived PlayStation rhythm game? Ugh. Wherein they decided that redoing all the Jungle Book songs as a rhythm game would be a great plan and making a bunch of new ones and having all the characters dance and stuff. Yeah, anyway, uh, they, they got a contemporary artist to, to redo I uh, Wanna Be Like You. Oh no. And, uh, well... Do you know what Lou Bega did with his later career? Because I do now. Oh, wow. Yeah. My favorite thing I've learned about this is the voice acting for Baloo, which is by a guy called Phil Harris, who when they wanted to replace him in the movies, they replaced him with John Goodman. So like, that's the kind of character he, and like, I think it's a good fit, right? I mean, you know that from listening to the original Baloo. If you had to cast that guy off the top of your head these days, you'd probably go. He does sound like John Goodman. <laughs> who can we afford who sounds like John Goodman? Except, except. Except. The best thing is that Phil Harris was not born Phil Harris. He's credited as Phil Harris, but his first name is Wonga. <laughs> that's, that's a name I haven't heard before. W-O-N-G-A, which his parents claim is a Cherokee word for fast hunter, and no Cherokee website Ooh. I could find verified that anywhere. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> now, just to clarify, is he in any way? Uh, 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 it, did they just take this name or? <clears throat> I don't know. Okay. We'll. Uh... It's entirely possible that his family were, in fact, uh, uh, First Nations and Indigenous people who, due to <laughs> political pressure at the time, made sure to hide it because they were passing as white. But yikes, 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 yikes. So that's what I got for the voice acting talent. <laughs> that's the most interesting thing about him? Or you're also going to tell me a bunch of roles that he's done? I actually left a whole bunch of those. I'm like, oh. Is he just generally round funny man and a bunch of stuff? Because he's got the voice for that. He's most famously known for the song, That's What I Like About the South. Uh-oh. Which I went and looked up and I was surprised to find it's not racist, huh? but it is super creepy. Just like a cowboy song? Well, it's it's a whole bunch of, you know, singing about my family making food down in the South, and here's a list of different foods in the South, and I'm just like, oh, so this is just a song about food <laughs> with 1,200 goddamned verses. So the typical verse structure is hot corn bread, black-eyed peas, you can eat as much as you please, because it's never out of season. That's what I like about the South. So that's your basic verse, right? That seems inaccurate. Yes? The last pair of verses includes you love me like I love you, Send me 50 PDQ. Roses are red and violets are pink. If I don't get all 50, I don't think. This song is... What's PDQ? Uh, 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 pretty damn quick. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So this song that's about food up to this point is like, by the way, girlfriend, give me 50 bucks. (laughs) That's what I like about the South. Strange song. You can mooch off your girlfriend. No, you know. I don't know if that's specific to the South. <laughs> the American South, of course. I should insert that every time we talk about the South. Yeah. Because stares directly into the microphone in Australian. Yeah. Uh, broadly speaking, beyond that, nothing else he did stood out to me except, oh, yeah, it's a bunch of RKO movies. All right. So this guy is not like a big famous name. He's famous as a musician, more than he was famous as a, a movie star, but he was also a comedian, so there's all obviously going to be a bunch hmm. of stuff he did that wasn't being filmed. So, so far, two of these guys are also professional singers. Yep. I'm just thinking to myself, I also, I don't know who to credit for this, I should probably check the credits again, but I also feel like the voice record, the quality of the voice recordings was, was up a notch from what we've seen previously. Like, there was a real... I don't know, maybe it's a restoration technique or something, but the voices in this have such warmth to them. It, I just feel like this was really expertly recorded. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm talking out my ass, but it sounded incredible to me. It, it is interesting because there is a lot of mention on the Wikipedia page for this movie about the production and the animation and the way xerography and uh, the soundstage for dancing was used for the animation, but not a lot of stuff mentioning... The, the the audio recording, which when it was Fantasia, yeah, there was a giant pair of paragraphs about <laughs> well, how they had to yeah. reinvent the wheel. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it might be my imagination. There's a lot of things, a lot of factors that could be influencing that. One last thing about the voice acting. Did you recognize Mowgli? Uh, no, but I assumed he's uh, probably one of the Arthur voices from last time. Yep. He's got a very generic American kid voice. It's Bruce Reithman, the one whose voice didn't break, and is the one who's going to wind up being Christopher Robin. <laughs> cool, until his voice breaks, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on the note of voice casting, just while we're here, I want to say in a rare, like, non-yikesy sense, mm-hmm. 
Um, I was really impressed that we didn't get that usual case of characters we're supposed to like are American and British, and characters we don't like will get quote-unquote accents. Well, we're going to talk about that when we get the yikes door, but go on. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm super glad we didn't hear any shitty racist Indian caricatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know that's not a lot to give them credit for, considering the rest of the content here. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I was just glad to not see heroes or white villains are ethnic. Yeah. Mm. Incidentally, if you want to know how white the voice actress for the girl is... Oh, white as fuck! She, and definitely not ten. She was one of the dub voices for The Sound of Music. <laughs> <laughs> dubbing it to what? Uh, she was the high singing voice for Dwayne Chase. There's a Oh, so not like a... a as in, she, it's not act. like she's in the original cut of the film, that no. she's strictly a singer. Okay. okay. Yeah, when, when they needed... When Kurt needs to hit the high notes and Kurt can't hit the high notes, we bring in Miss Carr. Anyway. No, that's fine. I've got nothing against separate singing actors. That's a, a time-honored thing and I don't have a problem with it. But it is unfortunate when they wind up whitewashing a character by virtue of doing that, but that's not what's going on here. She was whitewashed to begin with. That's her only fucking voice. Um, uh, hang on, hang on. Let's check under the couch cushions. Do we have any other segments before the yikes door? Uh, oh, oh, oh! I've got the double take. I've got go, the double take. Go for it. That's uh, that's for stuff that did not land, or I just didn't notice the first time. Uh, I definitely didn't know what scatting was the first time I saw this movie. <laughs> but uh, I, I will provide the context that Young Fox was very, very annoyed by songs with nonsense words. Oh no. Um, one of my earliest memories is refusing to sing the airplane song. Because it just goes zoom, 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 zoom over and over again. Uh, and I wouldn't sing it because it was stupid and it didn't mean anything. And I was in kindergarten. Yep. So <laughs> that's that's how seriously Fox took singing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I definitely had no idea that this was like an actual art form. And probably presenting it as the thing that the orangutan did didn't help. So. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, well, I guess that got a bit yikesy anyway. All right, other stuff. <laughs> Double take. I don't think I knew what sinuses were before this film. And that would turn out to be a very useful piece of information for me. <laughs> I also completely over my head went all the stuff with the vultures kind of being like the Beatles. Hey! Like a four person singing comedy troupe kind of British boys. I, uh, I did not notice that like ever. <laughs> so that was a fun little thing to go in there and and uh, and rediscover. Like, oh, oh, I see what you did there. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. Okay, think that's about all I've got for the double take. Fair enough. Like I said, I didn't watch it that many times, so there's not a lot that sticks in my memory from back then. Mm-hmm. All right, I don't think I can put it off any longer. <laughs> all <sighs> right. Uh, this is. I mean, not so much the movie, but the original source material is very of its time. Smells colonial in here. <clears throat> that is quite the stink. Alright, so first of, first things first, this movie is based on the work of Rudyard Kipling. Rudyard Kipling was an Englishman born in colonial India. His influence and experience of India was always filtered through being a colonizer, uh, and he is most famously known for introducing, aside from this book, but introducing the phrase, the white man's burden into common vernacular. So, like, that's your baseline. Mm, yep. 
And then you layer on top of that, that this is then being reinterpreted by Walt Disney, who got directly involved in the story production of this really aggressively. Uh, when Sword of the Stone stuttered a little, Disney deliberately waded into the production of this, really threw himself at the project, yeah. got them to cut a whole bunch of stuff, and therefore got a whole bunch of stuff rewritten and reimagined as Disney's vision of the story. He wanted to get rid of some things that made the story more complex because he felt they were unnecessary. Uh, the result being, don't get me wrong, pretty decent like narrative structure. I mean, I think we can generally agree that there would have been too much complexity in the source material to make a good move. Yeah, and the result is ultimately one level of colonialism and racism folded up and Xeroxed <laughs> out by another engine of colonial racism. It's very true. And it's it's not doing it in the way that you would expect uh, a hatefulness to be like there's there's no point where a character drops a slur randomly mid sentence. The issue is more insidious than that because in this case it's trying to say, look at how wonderful and mysterious and interesting this place is that we don't really understand. I mean, that's always how Disney racism works, though. Like he has his well, particular. I don't know. That, that, I, I don't know. The guy who stole Pinocchio. Eh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. But. Disney has a big old brand of, like, enthusiastic, wide-eyed childhood wonder racism. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, and I mean, that's, that's the whole problem. It doesn't land on you when you're a kid because it doesn't seem racist. It seems sincere. It seems interested. It seems informative. It seems exciting. Uh, and, you know, the fact that it's just basically going anything that isn't, White England or White America is a fantasy wonderland. Yeah. Uh, is just something that comes with the style when you're a child. Pretty much. So what you're going to find mainly going through this is basic assumptions. Things about the way the world works and things about the way the world looks that are that American viewpoint filtered through an English viewpoint of a country that neither of them know very well. Here's a big point in favor of what we're doing here as a project. I'm really glad I watched Saludos Amigos before this point, because that's one where they went, we're going to fly down there and we're going to hang around. We're going to draw things. And don't get me wrong. There were still some yikes and all sorts of problems there. But at the root of it, you are seeing their reaction to the place they are. Whereas this is a copy of a copy. And what you get is, well, a list of things, really. Um, first things first, because he just comes up first. Uh, Ka. Ka is a mincing, bewitching, mind-controlling, dancing snake, which is a blurred together the vision of a bunch of different things about Oriental culture. Um, and that's a big pair of finger quotes there. That's, an, that's Oriental as in the Edward Said thing. Uh, on, on the cover of Edward Said's Orientalism is a child dance, a naked child dancer with a, a snake because it was part of a whole myth of like, oh yes, the people over there, they do mysterious sensual things with snakes. And so the fact that Carr is like literally a hypnotizing snake that sways and dances. And then you get the right snake, by the way. It's usually a cobra when you're in India. Um, yeah, Carr is clearly like a python. Or yeah. uh, like an anaconda type snake. He's not venomous. He's got no fangs. Uh-huh. And then you throw in that he's also obviously uh, a coded camp. Like, there, there's that's just... Coded camp. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have the hand to make the gesture, but you know he would. Yeah, he's he's uh, getting into a bit of that 
uh, foppish style, which which creates queer coding. I don't know if it's what was intended, or, or even the uh, subconscious intent of the time. But, mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty unavoidable now, and I'm sure it's a complete coincidence that that happens to line up with other stereotypes that are racist as well. Yep. Uh, Bakira is meant to be a character you find approachable and likable, so what, but not always completely reasonable. So he's basically a 50s dad. He's he's kind of a dick, but he's also like doing his best and he's doing what's right for you. And the story frames him as generally being right, and he gets frustrated and snaps when Mowgli is difficult. Right, and, right. And and that's so like he he has a whole bunch of stuff coded there. I wouldn't say that he's a terribly yikes character in that regard, but no, like But because he's because he's acceptable, because he's like you're generally rightish, some of the stuff he says later gets yikesy as fuck. Ah, well that's true. Yes. He's like he's not a perfect character, and that's why he's not a like horrible threatening dad fifties dad archetype. Uh because he is actually presented as being a whole character who can be wrong about some stuff. But he's also, like, he's the smart one. He's the voice of reason. He is ultimately right uh, in his ideals, if not in every instance along the way. And he's the one from whom we get most of the, you know, own kind with own kind kind of... Uh, yeah. Kind of rhetoric. And that's one thing that I would... That I guess I would say that this movie does have as a grand thesis is that things have a place. Yeah, right. And that's, like, that's not a terrible idea. Like, you might be a person who does believe in destiny, in which case, okay, fine, you do you. And it's not a terrible idea to tell a story about things finding their place and belonging, but the things this movie uses to communicate that are weird and creepy. (laughs) Uh, The elephants! I sort of like how the elephants are used. Like, they're obviously the colonial army stereotype. Yeah, they we, really are. They have a past his prime British... Uh, I don't know if he's actually supposed to be ex-military as an elephant, even. Like, mm. I can't work out whether he's just offhandedly making references to that, or if the intent is that this character is a retired war elephant who was set loose. Uh, he claims he was given a Victoria Cross in 88. He does. Which... There was no war in 88. There were numerous uprisings that were put down. Yeah, yeah, right. And if you got the Victoria Cross for them, you're a monster. Uh. <laughs> and that's why I kind of like the way the elephants are used, because they're tedious jerks who are sort yeah. of ruining things for everyone. But also, why are they wait, that way? They're, they're elephants. They belong in this jungle. <laughs> this is why most of the like stereotyping in this doesn't read as intentional to me. Because if it is intentional, it's really muddled. Oh, yes. Uh, I would definitely agree that it comes across as muddled. Yeah, yeah. There's no, like, through line of, like, well, obviously this is an analog for this, and uh, I am in not so subtly saying Indian people are animals. It's, you know, if you wanted to do that directly with this film, you would, and it would be awful, but mm. I mean... They're very much saying that, <laughs> no, Mowgli is not a uh, an animal. He belongs with man. I mean... Setting aside all sorts of other stuff that the book says. Yeah, yeah. I, in that way, I suspect this might be less yikesy than the book in a lot of... Uh... Minor tidbit about the elephants. Uh, they're not Indian elephants. They're African elephants. I don't think Baloo is an Indian bear either. In fact, that was the next point. Right. Uh, Baloo is very, very clearly an American black bear. <laughs> it's 
filtered through the humanization thing. I think he's a brown bear, actually. He's just colored gray. Yeah, Because fair. he's the shape of a grizzly bear. Uh-huh. For sure. Uh, that said, the type of bear he could be is an Indian sloth bear, which is about the size of a wolf. Yeah, sloth bears are little and cute. Yep, and they got long pointy snoots for sticking under things and licking them. They also have spectacled bears in India, am I remembering that correctly? They have sun bears. Oh, sun bears, they're so cute. Yeah, they have a bunch of little bears in India. Other things are fucking gigantic, but... Yeah. And just in general, things that occur in India and Africa, the Indian one is the smaller one. Uh Uh-huh. Neither the prickly pear nor pawpaw, fruits that Baloo talks about and is shown eating, are Indian. They are both American. <laughs> and and you see what I mean? This is this is an American's vision of what things are. It's the it's the same thing yeah. when you're when a child is bullshitting a story. They're if they're talking about a place they've never been, they're gonna pull in things they know. And the result you get is this jumbled geography. This is why I resent it so much when they make a whole bunch of little textural changes in uh, localizing books mm. and stuff to America, like, you know, say gas station instead of petrol station. It's a nothing change, but it's it erases the idea that there's a different version of this thing, and it's fine, and it's, like, exactly equivalent to what what you know, but there's, there's another thing. It's not all the version of the thing that you know. We also have some very straightforward, seedless, yellow yep. Cavendish, is it? Yeah. Bananas. <laughs> But yeah, those bananas are not what you'd find in the jungles of India, unless you're going there now. Now, yes. When we're farming them. Yes. Well, we're, they're farming them. Well, I I was not involved. (laughs) (laughs) Then we step into another wonderful basket of racism, ancient ruins in the jungle. Ancient abandoned ruins are something racists fucking love. Oh, yeah. Um... Now, in this case, we get to then have another muddled bit of geography where this uh, th- this ancient set of ruins are populated by monkeys and an orangutan. Hey, Fox, guess what doesn't live in India? Do orangutans live? They are Asian, aren't they? They're Asian. They're from Indonesia and Malaysia. Right, okay, yeah, much more... Uh, which, which means... Southern, as, isn't it? Uh, going by GeoGuessr rules, you get no points. <laughs> India and Indonesia are not near each other there's a sea in the way on the one hand you could say well it doesn't matter because it's all jungle animals but it really fucking does yeah it does matter because you're mushing the idea of a jungle together into like some big formless mass that doesn't particularly belong in any country which helps you like decentralize the idea that it has that, that any countries with jungles have uniqueness and identity and whatnot like you probably don't want to fucking go there. Um, the idea of a monkey king as well. Now, this one, this this one is a little closer to my heart because this is something that Pulp Adventure fucking loves. Like there are so many Pulp Adventure novels about the Tarzan or someone like that going to the jungle and finding like some amazingly powerful monkey that is like the king of monkeys and they appear to have a language and they're giving orders and they've got a crown. And uh, H.P. Lovecraft wrote a story about a guy who fucked one of them. And, you know, it's not an inherently yikesy thing on its own, but I've seen so many yikesy works use it. Yeah, it's not It's not yikes so much as it is just sus. It's just, you want to watch that one. You want to be careful about that fucking trope. Uh-huh. It, and I mean, you know, it's it's very much a, well, specifically a, a Western developed country white person thing. To oh, yeah. put monarchy onto everything. 
fucking animal. Absolutely. Well, Walt Disney was a big fan of the idea of what if one person was in charge and they just got it right. <laughs> yeah, mysteriously, he was super into this. I know India has wolves, but I don't think they look very much like the wolves in this movie. They don't no. look like American wolves. Yeah. They, they do look kind of like coyotes. Yeah, you got these noble grey wolves. And uh, like they're good-looking wolves. I don't want to sit here and dunk on the wolves for being bad-looking, but they're not the kind of wolf you'd get. <laughs> I mean, I do have a note here that's like, yay, non-evil wolves that don't look like weird, skinny, round-snouted, just Preston Blair-ass caricatures. Wily coyote's fursuit. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Complete well, with the bumpy nose. The coyote might look like them. I don't know which came first. Anyway, but yeah, I, I don't, they they like dolls too. That's a dolls are in India, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Um, Pause while we both look at a picture of a doll and go, "Oh, you cute." I like. <laughs> look, I like all canines, basically. Yeah. The idea of Louis having access to fire is seen as the work of a scoundrel, even though at this point he hasn't done anything bad. Yeah, that's always uh, that was always questionable. I think. Like, I guess uh, they do kidnap the kid, so they definitely start off on the wrong foot. But then it's like, it is assumed that we can destroy them entirely in rescuing him, and it's not a big deal. Yeah. They are just viewed as scoundrels. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's some coding bundled up in that. Yeah. And it's not my normal death to king stance, I don't imagine. (laughs) And and obviously, like, we glanced off of this, but Sicilian or not, Louis is obviously a black-coded character. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Um, he, he is a big, loud, enthusiastic, dancing jazz singer. Yeah. Um, a black guy would get that role if they would let him in the building. I mean, this is the famous yikes about this film. Everyone is, is fully aware of the, the character who is coded as a black man who just wants to be like you, the enlightened human, by learning your mysterious secrets. Yeah. I mean, that's the elephant in the room, as it were. The African elephant, apparently. We then move on to Bagheera dropping some of the most thoughtless lines, including, well, you wouldn't marry a panther, would you? Which I would like to note, again, gay boyfriends, that would be the cutest point for Baloo to go like... <laughs> no, 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 never thought about that. <laughs> that was ridiculous, right? <laughs> or then to just say, of course I wouldn't. Smooch him and then the sun and then the moon, <laughs> and, you know, whatever. But um, this is 1967. Later this year, the Supreme Court in the United States finally rules that laws preventing interracial marriage are unconstitutional. So at the point this movie comes out, those rules are still on the books. And like, you know, it's not an unreasonable stance that maybe different species wouldn't wouldn't breed with one another but you have this problem when you turn all the animals into humans yep which is that now you don't get to say well they shouldn't fall in love ah yeah it's it is an unavoidable mess as soon as you make animals into humans and now was not a time when it's okay to have made that mess we have a big fat panto dame Like, directly and actually cross-dressing dude pretending to be a lady. Oh! Oh, is he pretending to be a lady? Got a dress on. Guess he is. Honestly, that did not land for me, but I guess that's probably what I was supposed to see in that scene. Yeah, no, and and I think that not seeing it is perfectly valid, but I'm pretty confident that that's meant to be Baloo dresses as a cute monkey lady. To get Louis' attention. Now, it might be years of Bugs Bunny cross-dressing that yeah, <laughs> did that to my brain. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I think it's pretty likely. I just I just saw, like, Baloo dressed up and joined the party as a fake monkey. And they were upset when he was not, uh, like, 
that he was obviously not a welcome party guest. Uh, the vultures. But, uh, oh, sorry. But, uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. The vultures. You noted they're like the Beatles. They were going to be the Beatles. Hey, <laughs> nice try, Disney. Boy, you would have liked that. And John Lennon went, no. <laughs> you mean he went, no? Yes. <laughs> I do like their voices, though. Oh, they're, they're per- honestly, they're perfectly charming, and I like that they don't, like, beat them up for being shitty friends. Because, like, what exactly are they going to do to stop Shere Khan? Well, really? they could they could help reasonably enough. I'm surprised that they did. Mm. But, like, if Shere Khan decides to come back to the, back for them, they're dead. Oh, that's true. I obviously like the very morose humor of, of just, you know, well, we like everyone. Yeah. Want to come hang out with us we'll for he- the rest of your life? We'll be here when you're down. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Love that. Extremely dark humor, but also very funny. I was kind of expecting them to drop a joke at the end where when Balu gets up and then... <laughs> <laughs> We're going to miss having the kid around. Yeah, you are. But, 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 but. Like, Bagheera quotes the Bible about Balu. Yeah, well, paraphrases anyway. It's very, it's very obviously biblical. Yeah, it, it is It is the direct intonation of yeah. it. If someone got up and quoted that at, at Sunday school, they would have gotten their points. You know what they're doing. It's not, you know, you didn't say the so it doesn't fucking count. We see it. Uh-huh. Hm? Wait, was that a yikes? Yeah. It's not a yikes, is it? It's fucking more of this Protestant values bullshit. Why the hell does Bagheera know the King James Bible? Ah, <laughs> uh, maybe Bagheera's the source. Did you ever think about that? Maybe he just made that up off the top of his head. The timeline just unravels in front of me. <laughs> the timeline's for cops, Talon. <laughs> Where we're going, no one can tell us to stay in the time stream. Anyway, um, there are three children in this movie. Two of them have American accents and the other one is a girl. Who's the- The elephant. Oh, yeah, a little kid elephant. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll allow that. Yeah. Little, little kids have- Appar- apparently, like, you start as an American-accented person, and then eventually you grow into not being American. This is, we've seen this in, like, all the Disneys so far, though. Like, mm-hmm. they have done a lot of of explicitly English, or all the adult characters have English accents, but the kids are mysterious Americans. Uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe it's... Okay, my theory is just gonna be that it was... Uh, hard to find children act- child actors with British accents in America and they weren't gonna fucking pay to fly a child out here and there's a perfectly good director's kid right there yeah you know and he's got experience working in a mediocre movie <laughs> this was definitely better than the sword in the stone yeah this uh, is even this- setting aside all the racist junk uh-huh and so that's all of my notes on the yikes store mostly because like belaboring individual points seems a little unnecessary. All of your notes? Yeah, I- Okay. I guess I'm gonna have to say, why was the girl child sexified? Hmm. Yeah, you are right. I- She's- There's so much to unpack. Like, she's making sexy eyes at herself in the water. Like, the main concern of a prepubescent girl is is checking in on her appearance while she's doing work. Wings on point. (laughs) Uh, Uh- she, it's unclear as to when she realizes he's there, but for at least part of that sequence, she's like doing sexy dreamy eyes at nothing. And, and then when he does recognize her, she like uses her feminine wiles to entice him away. Like, 
This is not, he sees a girl and he's intrigued, so he follows her into the village. This is, he sees a girl and she puts the moves on him. Yeah. It is not okay. I did have- I did have a tiny note on her, which is she refers to the jungle as the forest. Which just paints that this lyric was written by an American. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't notice that one. Good catch. (laughs) It's just, and that's the, that's part of it. It's just everywhere. It's just laced throughout this whole thing. The number of close-ups they do on her with her big heavy eyelids and her big luscious eyelashes. Mm-hmm. And, like, slow focus on her lips as she looks up. Like, no, no, I don't want you to do this to a fucking child. It's yeah. not okay. Not cool, not good. And it's unavoidable to note that that sexifying younger women is heavily associated with racism. Yep. Girls of color are viewed as being ripe at a younger age than white girls. Yeah. It's nasty as fuck. Yep. If she was doing this as an adult, it would be, like, cute and funny. It'd be like, well, get a load of this doofus. He has no self-control. I bet I can get him to do whatever I want. Which is still kind of a negative stereotype. But that's only if she was an adult. On a child, it is so unpleasant. Yeah, uh, extremely wincy there. Yeah, it's skin crawling. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. This does play into what I mentioned would be like that grand thesis. Things have a place and belonging in that place is the inevitable correct state of things. The only character we see who doesn't really have a place they are is Bagheera. And Bagheera is the one who moves around between locations. But this whole thing is precipitated by the return of Shere Khan, which is Shere Khan was here, Shere Khan is here now. Um, Which, you know, further paints this idea of like returning, going to the place where you're meant to be. Hmm. The idea that Shere Khan could be opposed or driven away. Don't get me wrong, I appreciate that no one's like, yeah, why don't we try and take on an Indian tiger? When we as a collection of different uh, animals are really not up to that task. I was sort of making fun of the wolf pack for being chickens right at the beginning, but then I remembered that they ought to be Indian wolves. Yeah. And therefore, pretty small as far as wolves go. And they probably couldn't take on a tiger, which are fucking massive. Shere Khan probably weighs more than the whole pack. Yeah, like the tigers are ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Like, wolves are bigger than people think, but once again, the bigger species of wolves are bigger than people think. Mm -hmm. Indian wolves are on the small side. Uh, if King Louis was not the only Ooh. orangutan. Yeah, okay. King Louis could probably fuck up a tiger. Don't like that. Yeah, that that's not a fight anyone wants to see. No. Orangutans are terrifying, though. Yeah, and and if there were two orangutans, then okay, yeah, Shere Khan is not in charge of this place anymore. But we don't know if there are two orangutans. So, oh well. <laughs> Does make me wonder about bear versus orangutan. Think the bear's in trouble. That bear? Though, once again, Baloo is clearly a, yeah. a big American bear. Yeah, it's true. Uh. <laughs> He's probably fine. He's an American bear. He's four times the size of any bear <laughs> around there. It's a real mishmash of shit going on in this one. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other thing I find interesting is that at no point is reasoning with Shere Khan acceptable, even though Shere Khan's fears are entirely reasonable and also written by a racist. Because Shere Khan is afraid of men with guns. People were hunting tigers long before they had guns on the Indian continent. Oh, right. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, really, I'm 
I'm going to give that one a pass because I'm sure if guns were a thing that the hunters of the time, regardless of whether they were the, the colonial contingent or the ones who actually belonged there, probably were using guns at that point. Yeah. And tigers don't live that long. No. So well, Shikhan's probably only afraid of whatever hunters are using right now. The timescale is also really weird. Because uh, Mowgli's 10. This is true. 10 summers have come and gone. Most of those wolves are dead. Shikhan might be going on in the long, in the long tooth mm. there. Yeah, I don't know cat ages nearly as well as I know dog ages. But mm. I know, like, big dogs frequently only live sort of like, uh, you know, 10, 12 years at the most. Uh, you're more likely 7 or 8. And wolves don't generally live longer than that and being in the wild has a way of cutting your lifespan a bit short who yep. knew uh the elephants are about right elephants live for fucking ages they'll be fine yeah like the elephant gestation period is i think 18 to 20 months that one i do not remember for like, sure they are they are an animal that takes its bloody time I'm anyway i'm annoyed that the elephants weren't matriarchal mm. Because, like, that's a thing. And they sort of played with it just a tiny bit. <laughs> where, where the wifey character threatens to take over, obviously. But, uh, you know, that just made me angrier. That they were, they seem to be a herd of man elephants following around a man with one woman. Which is, like, the exact opposite of how elephants work. Yeah. It's mostly an extended family all following grandma. And that's the other thing. Like, that that's that whole element of this is a racist vision yeah. of the world in that what are animals like? Well, they must be mostly just like humans. They probably have all the same foibles and behaviors that we do. And, you know, they're British. That's how they're different. I did love a lot of elephants trampling high grass. Yeah. It's like, that's a, elephants make channels in Indian jungles and it's yeah. a thoroughfare for other animals. And that's cool. That's cute. I like that that was in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, bamboo really is actually in India. I was yeah, quite yeah. glad of that. Yeah. Uh, the, the deer. The deer that Shere Khan is about to stalk. I'm like, oh, fuck. Don't tell me deer right. aren't native those to are India. Those are for real. But yeah. those are absolutely for real. And that's they actually a like a good illustration of an Indian deer. Well, it didn't have to have a personality, so they could just make it look like the actual animal. Yep. Um, we're sort of already getting into our next segment, aren't we? I think we're done with yikes. Yeah, and I think the grand theme of everything should go back to where it belongs. That belongs in yikes as well, so there we go. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, like I said, as soon as you make your animals into humans, you don't get to do every animal has its place. Yeah. Then you have to do, no, we're all people and we get to make choices. Yeah, that's, that's super weird. And Yeah. yeah, don't, don't, don't go that route. Plus, fuck destiny, I'll go where I want, is a better story. Baloo is right, is all I'm saying. I'm gonna go and have adventures with my two gay jungle dads, and I'm gonna come back to the village as, like, the king of the jungle, and I'm gonna have all sorts of cool rad fruit that they don't know how to gather. Come come fucking pawpaws, guys, check it the fuck out. Prickly pears, that's a desert plant, how the fuck are we growing it here? Lost humidity. (laughs) Have coconuts, too. Yeah. Does India have coconuts? Coconuts go everywhere. Coconuts migrate. Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay. That one actually, I'll believe that then. Like, it might be that India didn't have coconuts at that point, but it does now. (laughs) Coconuts go where they want. I don't know how off I am on thinking that a lot of the temple stuff actually looked more like Indonesian than Indian as well. Like, that's really hard to judge, and I'm not going to say that as an authority, but... I think that this is a byproduct of us being Australian. In that we are just, you know, in general, yeah. going to see a lot more Indonesian, Thai, and Malaysian uh, 
for lack of a better word, right. ruins. Yeah, it reminded me more of all of those cultures than a, than of Indian. But you're right in that that's that could definitely be just my narrowed uh, experience. Yeah, and like that's you know there is definitely cross cultural uh, 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 experiences in those oh, location, sure. but the actual locations I'm thinking of are extremely distinctive. And maybe that's the photos that got back to Disney. Maybe not. I would I would trust a person with a serious degree of expertise in the Indian continent and not me. Mm. Yeah, okay. Uh, right. In which case, I do think we've managed to, like, banish the last of the yikes for now. I, yep, I think we've we finally waded out of the deep dark jungle of yikes. All right, then. And into the magical world of whatever land, where we just point out stuff that we feel wants commenting on, even if we don't have anything deep or especially relevant to say about it. You go first. Me first? This was a non-chintzy book this time. I know, it was positively classy. <laughs> and we were geared up for it and everything. I know, I thought it was going to be atrocious. That makes sense, this is not a palaces and princesses film. No. I, I suppose I should be glad it wasn't a um, <clears throat> decoratively primitive book. Ugh, yeah. Yeah, that With like bones and, and leather on yep. it. Yep. Oh well, good. Dodged one of the many, many yikes bullets. Good job. <laughs> uh... Mowgli's just kind of a nothing, isn't he? Yeah, we're definitely in an era of uh, of child protagonists without much in the way of personality. At least he has like distinct wants and mm. you know opinions and stuff. I, you know what? I feel like he could have been an interesting character if the voice actor for him hadn't been so eh, compared to everyone else who was bringing their fucking A game for this one. Extremely limited, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it probably... Well, was it one of the author actors who was yeah. the director's kid? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So that's... I feel like that says everything you need to know Something about Something Rathaman. <laughs> ah, well. Uh, we... Well, a callback to animation quality. Uh, but the jump back to fully painted backgrounds is really welcome in this. Like, once again, I like the sketchy style. I think it works for a lot of stuff. I don't think it would have worked for the jungle. Uh-huh. That's <laughs> another one of mine knocked over. Hey! Uh, time to parental failing. Ten minutes. <laughs> I've got a real, um, I've got maternal instinct. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, as you noted, Bagheera being the voice of wisdom is, mm. makes some things unquestionably correct, which I do not agree. Uh, Mowgli explains the joke, uh, at, at, uh... Oh, yeah. The elephants. Right. He said he never forgets. Uh, thanks, kid. We would never have gotten it without you. Did I actually say boo out loud at that <laughs> point? <laughs> I don't think you did. Mm. <laughs> You're right. That was some tedium. Oh, dude. One of one of your old favorites is back. Uh, did you notice that it's been quite a while since we had some just top quality Disney butt bounce? Yep. There's lots oh. of butt jiggle. There's a big bear ass going on in here. Yep. And <laughs> it, you know what? If I get swaggles along with it and it's not weirdly sexual. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like Baloo's butt jiggle was at all weirdly sexual. We had a chance to see Baloo get kicked in the crotch and it didn't happen. <laughs> um, Bagheera calls Baloo a bum, which presents the fascinating possibility that people in the jungle have jobs. Well, they sort of do. Like, our wolves are raising kids and running a pack. Bagheera is some kind of weird obsessive nursemaid. <laughs> the elephants are doing military patrols. <laughs> like, most of them do have something except for the monkeys and Baloo. 
and Car, who's obviously just a random predator. Mm-hmm. In more senses than one, I guess. Ugh. Ugh, they're not Ugh. comfortable. Ah, that makes his mincing style even less pleasing. It's a shame, because, like, Sterling Holloway is, is a top-notch voice actor. But, really good. Um, yeah. Um, the water got oddly sketchy in some of the bits here. Yeah. Like, feels like we got all the way to fluid water, and now we've gone back to weird, like, I don't know if it's crayon, or... There's some weird particle going on here. What you'll notice, I think, is this is a byproduct of that animators getting chunked up, uh, because there were some sequences when Baloo is swimming in the water, where the water looks perfectly fine. Yeah, actually, it, it probably absolutely is that, because I only noticed it in a couple of places, and I was like... That's weird. Has it been like that all along? Did I just not notice? Well, we didn't have any snow to compare to this time, I guess, so... Yeah, uh, well. Baloo's just a bit of a dick to King Louie. Like, you've got an opportunity to make your clean getaway and you go tickle him? Fuck you. <laughs> he does. Yeah. I mean, they're very lucky that their temple fell apart or they'd be fucking dead. <laughs> not good. Louie, a character acknowledged to be problematic. Character animation. Wow. Yeah. Lots of fun stuff uh, you can do with an, with an orangutan's yeah, anatomy. It's like he's got four hands. Yeah. And he can use them all to do wild shit. And he can swing his arms completely around his body. Yeah. I want you to remember that uh, dance sequence with Baloo and Louie, by the way. You'll need... That's a secret <laughs> weapon that'll help you later. Uh, the animation of the temple coming down is also pretty darn rough. Yeah. Very um, sketchy. Yeah. You know what? The snow technique, you'd get to see that on Crumbling Rock. <laughs> There was a lot of rock in here where the the sketch shading was really prevalent, um, especially in the monkey kidnapping scene was where I noticed it the most. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, is it's part of animation sketching, so it, it would show up here if they were um, printing line work onto the cells rather than painting them. But it's so weird to see it, because even in this sketchy era, you don't normally see it. Um, ooh, one thing I was really excited and proud to notice... Did you notice a leitmotif in this movie? No. Right. Every time we talk about going back to the village, or we have Mowgli being upset about needing to go back to the village, we get a certain music sting. And uh, that would have meant nothing to me if I hadn't seen this before, because it's the song that the girl is singing at the end. Ah. The human village has a theme. Huh. And it's played as a negative thing all the way through until the very end, where it's it's obviously the thing that draws him into the village itself. And I thought that was really fucking artful. And I was so proud of myself for noticing it, because I don't usually notice leitmotifs, even when I'm trying. Yeah. And this one just popped out of nowhere, and I was like, oh, I know that music! Hey! hey. So that's cool. <laughs> Shere Khan rules. Oh, he's having such a fun time. <laughs> and it really works. Because he's a tiger. And tigers are cats. So they do fucking play with people. Yeah. Oh, it's very good stuff. The the speeding up the countdown when he sees he's got a stick. <laughs> he has so much charisma. I, I enjoy this character a lot. There's a lot better version of the scene where Mowgli goes for a stick. Where the character of Sheik, like there's there's a narrative that doesn't fall into hijinks and pratfalls and and you know the eventual Baloo feigning of death kind of thing. There's a version of that narrative where actually standing up to Sheer Khan creates the bridge for a dialogue, but because like everyone's just been running from Sheer Khan, everyone's just terrified of Sheer Khan up to this point. But uh, 
obviously they don't do that and they're not going to do that but still there, there is a there is a really good film lurking in this film's bones <laughs> no tigers are merciless predators they would never let you stop and reason with them if they want to eat you not like panthers mm. panthers are very reasonable panthers are basically boring lawful dads yeah <laughs> and panthers want to go to the garage and have a beer and be left alone panthers are a cop yeah <laughs> oh dear uh, which covers almost everything I had notes on, but one final one, uh, in that this movie was a broad subversion of all animals and dogs. Mm-hmm. Like, most of these animals are, while not necessarily realistic uh, animal behaviors, they are either human or the animal that they're based on. They're not dogs. No. Except Baloo, who's a little bit doggy. Yeah, but he's also a little bit drunken uncle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's he's the cuddly, friendly one, so it makes sense that he would check out most like a dog. But mostly, he's just the most like a human. And, and I will note, he's like a bear, which in this case is an American bear, yeah. which is re- as represented by a dog. Well, he's like an American human, so that makes sense as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, uh, points for that, I guess. You know what they don't have in, in the land of the jungle? Uh, well, normally I'd say capitalism, but if they have a military and they have a monarchy, then they definitely do have capitalism. So, Yeah, that sucks. So, what do you reckon this movie was like for (laughs) cost to make and returns? All right. I mean, we're obviously still in the cheap days. Yep. But there's no way this feels as cheap as Dalmatians or Sword in the Stone. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, it was also a return to widescreen. I don't know if that's true of the time. But the version we saw was definitely uh, cinema widescreen. If it helps, it was widescreen in the theatres and it was bundled with another widescreen movie. Not one of Disney's, a different one, but that mm, led to pe- that led to cinemas upgrading to get both of the movies as a twofer. But yeah, okay, so I'm, I'm going to say it's a bit more expensive than the last couple that we've seen, but not a lot more because we, we're still seeing a lot of like money-saving techniques. And chunking up animation by sequences like that was probably a good money saver as well, I would yeah. imagine. Yep. Uh, but we do have huge, lush, scrolling backgrounds again. And Thank God. I mean, yes. <laughs> hey, I like both styles. I like this one a little bit more, but mm. I like both. It suits this really well. Yeah, they work for different kinds of movies. Like I said, the, the style that works for like a, a cute, jazzy film in crowded London does not go the same way with a film which is supposed to present the vast vistas of an Indian jungle. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good point, because I was thinking of Sword in the Stone having shonky backgrounds, but it's got the same quality of backgrounds as 101 Dalmatians, and yeah, that's fine. No problems there. Works a lot better in, like, your Merlin's Tower sequences than your uh, wading through the woods sequence, but yep. yeah, you know, that's how it is. Um, anyway, and I feel like it did pretty well, actually, and uh, hearing that it got bundled with something else and cinemas upgraded to get the pair of them together. Yeah, that that uh, solidifies my notion that this probably was a decent money spinner. It cost four million to make. It made them in rentals 23.8 million and was the highest grossing animated film to date. I nailed it for this one. Abso-fucking-lutely. It got rescreened in 78, 84, 1990 and its total lifetime earnings is Three hundred and seventy-eight million dollars. Sure, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a much more fun film than I remember. Yeah, shame about all the racism. Yeah, I I wish this film was even better. Yep, definitely, absolutely. 
and like obviously we can't get back the voices but man <laughs> no and we missed the chance to have tony j do it for real <laughs> <sighs> we have we but nonetheless that sheer card voice is so good and the wandering in and singing along yeah <laughs> oh that's so what good a showy motherfucker yep like i what? said so much more fun I guess someone's got to fill out the bottom of this register. Boy, that was a low note. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and with that, though, I believe we draw to the conclusion of season two of the Disney right. animated cannonball. Yes. Oh, we touched upon this at the beginning, didn't we? The yeah. end of an era. This is, this is the last Disney, Disney film. And look, I'm going to be real. I don't feel like we're going to hurt for his absence. No. I, uh, formative influence, definitely, but as much of a a fan of Disney's products as I am, and as much of a fan of animation as I am, uh, I am not a great man history person, uh, I do not idolize the man Walt Disney. Oh boy, no. All the stories I've learned researching for this podcast indicate that Walt Disney was a component of his own success, but was just as much a barrier to it. There are numerous times where the movies that got made were replacing a much more interesting thing that could have happened <laughs> with the same animators and the same talent and the same writers. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It's it's the get a man a reputation for getting up early thing. It's- yeah. Like, everyone knows the Disney film set a gold fucking standard for family-friendly kid movies. Um, but going back through this makes it very obvious that so much of it is rough, and people don't hold them responsible for the failures. Yeah, and this is an era of making movies for kids that kind of hates kids. Oh, boy, does it. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see going forward, because I, I, I've said before, I theorize that disney doesn't like children very much at all mm-hmm. he likes his idea of a child but his idea of a child isn't real and you know what he did like money one last glass of cigarette and for you there shall be no more glasses of cigarette so uh hey so what is up next i i struggle to think we're not quite at aristocats yet i have some bad news honey we are up to Aristocats? We're up to the Aristocats. Ah, well, we can get it out of the way. It's going to be the one from this era that I like the least, I think. Well, oh wait, I say that, but Sword in the Stone, a bit dire. Aristocats is probably more fun just because it's cats. Yeah, we'll see you next season. All right. Thank you for sticking with us. See you next season. funny when the song itself is something you could reasonably play on a kazoo. Yep.